And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lorre, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome back. I'm Tom Loy. Our topic this week is how to recognize and seize opportunity in the face of uncertainty. My guest mentors are two well-known Deloitte strategy consultants, Stephen Goldbach and Jeff Tuff, who in their work with many companies have developed great insights on how we miss opportunities by acting tentatively in the face of uncertainty. These insights are of value to everybody, investors, leaders, professionals, not only in business, but in life. Stephen and Jeff, welcome to The Mentors, and let's get started with a question. Change and uncertainty are inevitable. And as I've personally witnessed recently with the last couple of years, the number of books that have been sent to me for review, it seems like we have a fascination and strong interest with disruption and transformation. And it appears to be growing. What do you think is causing this? And what does this mean for you as strategy consultants? Yeah, Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll d- dive in on this. And first of all, thank you. And thanks uh, for all your listeners for having us on. I know both Steve and I are, are thrilled to be here. So, so this is actually a topic that we both have um, not only studied, but lived with and lived through over the course of um, our, our careers for sure. But it's really something that we've started to experience um, ourselves and in the society more broadly over the course of the last 10 years. The, the, underli- the underlying condition that we see around the world today is that we are shifting as a world, as a business world, and as a in our personal lives as well. We're shifting from a world that has been governed primarily by linear change to a world that's increasingly uh, impacted by exponential change. And we can dig into what we mean by that and, and how we recognize exponentials when, when we're experiencing them, if you would like. But that's really, the, I would say, the cause of the acceleration of, of interest in disruption, and not only how to avoid disruption, but also how to take advantage of the various different forces that are creating an acceleration of change and um, the opportunities all around us. So one of the important things that uh you both have talked about and you have in your new book, Provoke, is face transitions and understanding them so we can navigate uncertainty successful. Stephen, why don't you tell us a little bit about phase transitions, what they are, and tell us why a wait and see approach in business and life is a, not a, such a good strategy. Well, as Jeff described, we're now primarily living in a, in a world that's governed by uncertainty, not by risk. And uncertainty, by definition, is not something that we can assign probabilities to. They're, they're uncertain, by definition. And therefore, what we need to be watching for are signs that the uncertainty is resolving itself. And that's what we uh, describe in the book as a phase change when you move from a matter of if a trend will come to fruition to a matter of when a trend will come to fruition. A good example, Thomas, is um, the notion of hybrid work. If you think about something uh, from the standpoint of feasibility, desirability, and viability, we knew far before the pandemic that hybrid work was feasible. We knew that it was probably desirable, but we had never conducted as large of a scale test to see that uh, to see that it was viable. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we were forced into doing a wide scale test on hybrid work. Um, but now we all see that it's viable. So we've moved from a phase change of if hybrid work would become the dominant model, i.e. working both remotely and in person, to a matter of when that becomes the dominant model, because all of those things are in place. And these phase changes that can, well, I would say with the one you just talked about happened abruptly, 
But many, I mean, there's a continuum in terms of time, in terms of these changes. Isn't that what causes some hesitation on the part of people in terms of identifying what's going on? There is a continuum, but but the ability to act early enough in the phase change is where advantage gets creates gets created. That's really what the book Provoke is all about. How you recognize those phase changes before anyone else does, and position yourself for success in in the face of them. The, as as Steve mentioned, you know it the, the the test, the exploration of whether or not we as a society could live with hybrid work has been a possibility for decades. We, you know, there've been different technologies that have come up over time, but we've never really had the motivation to, to run the test, to see whether or not it's something that is going to work for um, the vast majority of people. The, the abruptness of COVID and the pandemic that we experienced that forced us to run the test certainly created the condition for us to try to understand that and explore it in more detail, but there's no reason we had to wait until March of 2020 to start to understand if hybrid work could have worked. So you talk about that from the standpoint of uh, business, what's going on. I just want to point out, at least in you guys, uh, and I'll have Stephen correct me if I'm saying it correctly, but being in the venture side of things uh, for many years in my career, these phase transitions really occur structurally. There's market within a structure. There are market changes. There are product changes. Even in a company, there's cultural changes that take place. And then I would think uh, with relationships to other people, and I think of one of our past guests, uh, Ed Kapetsky, who unfortunately lost his son to a drug overdose. And he, he's very active in the, uh, the world of uh, drug addiction, but he talked about recognizing things early on as a parent. But, uh, and as I read your work, as I said, this could be extrapolated to all aspects of life. And Stephen, why don't you just add to that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's really important to know that uh, the world of venture capitalism and startup and the startup community has for a long period of time been at the forefront of trying to act deep within the if phase. And one of the reasons why the, the, the demands of returns in that space is so high is because you're acting before there's enough proof that the concepts that are in question are feasible, viable, and desirable. In some respects, they're getting paid a premium to test to test those concepts. And certainly, you can uh, use the ideas to see um, to see to what extent you might be uh, we, we might be ahead of something. And certainly, in the fields of addiction and and mental health, are those where we're now starting to there's a swell of people who are now moving beyond the um, you know beyond the phase change of being willing to talk about those as uh, those as reality. So I'd say those are both great examples, Thomas. And I, it's one of the things that you you have to figure out where you, where you sit on that phase change is terrifically important because you wouldn't want to take the same strategy if you're deep within the if phase versus if it's now becoming clear that it's going to resolve itself to a matter of when. And that's we'll talk later, I'm sure, about the five different ways you can provoke. Okay, we're going to come back in a few minutes with our guest mentors, Stephen Kobach and Jeff Tuff, renowned consultants and best-selling authors who are providing their insights on how all of us can shape the future by overcoming fatal human flaws. The Mentor is now in its fifth year. Make sure you don't miss future shows. Subscribe at our website, thementorsradio.com. And that is thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Lloyd. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feel great. VIP to learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, 
I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Moore, and I'm with Stephen Gombach and Jeff Tuff, who are top strategy consultants at Deloitte. We're talking about uncertainty and how we miss opportunities in our life, career, and in our businesses. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. So we talked uh, about phase changes in the last segment. Now, what is it? Um, it seems to me that, you know, maybe in the areas that I work in, I can recognize and anticipate phase changes, but in other areas, I don't. I imagine this is situational to some extent, isn't it, uh, Jeff? It is situational. Um, and, and I think the, the way situations vary are the, it, or one of the ways in which situations vary are the various different um signals or data that we surround ourselves with. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we, Steve and I firmly believe that uh, going back to the theme of, of moving into a, a time of exponential change, that the people who are best able to recognize exponential change and to, to take signals that will give them a hint that we're entering the phase change are those who are able to um, open up a really broad aperture of considerations as they look towards the future. Um, different situations, though, cause different blinders to be applied to that wide aperture. You can enter into any situation with an understanding. You got to keep a really open mind. You got to consider all the different possibilities for the future. But in some, for example, um, high anxiety situations, there are going to be certain blinders that get that get applied that stop you from seeing certain trends. In very familiar situations, likewise, different types of blinders. Uh, will be applied that stop you from seeing things. So I, I would argue that in almost any situation, some sort of blinders are caused by the fatal flaws, by, by the biases that we write a lot about in the book. But which ones apply and just how heavily they blind your forward-looking vision depends on the situation. Well, let's talk about those biases. And then later, I want to talk about what people can do to expand their world to pick up on changes. But let's uh, start with the biases. These are the things you write about that uh, keep us back, that uh, uh, really get in the way of our looking or really understanding and acting on a trend. And Stephen, maybe you can start talking about some of those biases. Uh, some of them are familiar to many people. Some are not. Uh, so they, but they get in our way. Those are the fatal flaws. Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. So the fatal flaws are cognitive biases that we are all subject to as humans. So these are not uh, these are not failures of leadership. I think we it's important to be clear. There's our, these are just human conditions that we all are subject to, um, including every one of us on the on the on the show today. Um, there are things like the status quo bias, the availability bias, the affect heuristic bias, and I'll talk about a few of those in general. But what they do is they make it less likely for us to see changes happening in the world because we want to you know believe so much in what we have today so for example status quo bias is a prefer a human preference for what's going on today in the status quo why because deviation from the status quo is seen as a loss and humans are by definition loss averse affect heuristic bias is 
a bias towards thing that cause us high degrees of emotion. So when something's an early signal that doesn't cause a lot of emotion in the book, we talk about the early signs of cord cutting and how the first segment was less than 2% of the population, but it was visible. You know, that wasn't enough to provoke a res- an, an emotional response. So the executives that we were discussing it with didn't feel it. These are all r- just human issues. And we hope that by making them known, we can at least cause people to be more aware of the the times when those biases may be acting against them, Thomas. And I think we all know that good teams, this is a kind of a standard operating assumption, good teams can kill good ideas. We've all seen that. I came out of a large corporation. I'm convinced that Silicon Valley exists for people that uh, saw good ideas get killed and they went off to try and figure out how to make them happen. But that being said, when you talk about the uh, status quo bias, one thing came to mind as you were talking, that's one of the companies I ran uh, where the engineers wanted to vertically integrate into a material manufacturing. And we were pliers of material to products where the value was. And I was very afraid that if we vertically integrated, we would always try to uh, develop products that would uh, increase the capacity of the facility. So there are investments that companies make that really are like putting your feet in concrete. And I'm sure, Jeff, you see a lot of that and uh, the work that you've done where the, the moving out of something is so difficult because they've got such a, a large investment, a sunk investment. Yeah, and and I uh, so I I don't know the company you're talking about, Tom, but I know the situation well enough to recognize the challenge you're you're talking about. And and there's there's two sides of the challenge. One is making the decision in the first place to consider vertical integration. And my guess is that some people were against that as an idea because it felt like it was changing the status quo. And then there's a separate consideration of that, which is if you do decide to vertically uh, vertically integrate, are you going to con- be able to continue to explore new types of opportunities that go beyond the filling of the of the plant that you end up developing. I'm assuming you're talking about developing a, a manufacturing plant of some sort. The, the, in both those situations, the, it, may, it, may, it may or may not be the right, ultimately the right strategic choice to choose to integrate, but in both of those situations, the highest likelihood outcome based on the research we've done and what we've seen with our clients is that you're gonna change only a little your core business model. And if you do end up developing the plant and 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 wanting to keep it full, you're not going to be able to see the, the other possibilities out there. And it all comes back to the same biases and quote unquote fatal flaws that Steve talked about before. It's because we don't look beyond the immediacy of the business model we have today. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie. We are with top Deloitte strategy consultants, Stephen Goldbach and Jeff Tuff, who are providing insights on how to make uncertainty work for you. So thank you very much for that. Uh, But I also, coming back to the human element, uh, and I shared with you when we were doing our prep that the company I'm on now initially was created for treating, uh, attacking the HIV virus and hopefully leading to a cure. Uh, And I don't have any vested interest in HIV or anything else. It's really, what can we do with the technology and create value? And after a year, we pivoted into immuno-oncology. And as I told you, if somebody had 30 years of HIV and that was their baby, it would have been very difficult to make a pivot. So we're talking about structure, and now we're talking about people. And Stephen, I'm sure you have something to add to that. And that gets into the cognitive biases, I'm sure. There are so many of them, right? Well, for sure, the you know when you've been spent your entire life working on something, you're going to be personally subject to loss aversion about that thing. So if someone spent 30 years of their uh, career working on HIV and the company decides to make a pivot, it's it's entirely natural that that person would feel some degree uh, of the status quo bias, given what they had, had put in, in addition to a number of other biases. You would hope that what you want to do as an organization, though, is put in what we like to call management systems. These are systems and processes that promote human behavior that would make sure that everyone on that team was motivated in the same was motivated in the same direction. And the second thing that you can do in order to make sure that you're getting your teams aligned is try to put uh, 
try to create cognitive diversity within your team. And diversity is a concept that is super important uh, uh, to the design and success of teams. So why is that? Because we know from academic research uh, from folks like Scott Page at the University of Michigan, a number of his uh, uh, colleagues, that more complex and novel problems are better solved by cognitively diverse teams. In other words, Thomas, you want to create an economic forecast? Instead of adding a fifth uh, Nobel laureate in economics, add a theater major because you will see more of the problem. You'll see more of the contours of the uncertainty than you would by adding another economist. And where does that, that cognitive diversity come from? Real world diversity, right? Diversity in background, diversity in ethnicities, diversity in the way we grew up and we see the world differently. And that's going to get help you get past the, uh, the challenges of the teams that you've described. We'll be back in a few minutes with guest mentors Stephen Gobach and Jeff Tuff, renowned consultants and best-selling authors who are providing their insights on how all of us can shape the future by overcoming fatal human flaws. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years' experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. Ugh, Bob, I'm so frustrated. Sorry to hear that, Sarah. What's going on? I feel like I'm spinning. I I make goals to make money, work less, spend more quality time with family. But the truth is, I never actually achieve these goals. Year after year, I try to do things differently, but ultimately nothing changes. What's the point? Yeah, I did the same thing until I saw a friend completely change her life in less than a year. I was shocked. She sounded just like you a year ago, but not anymore. Wow. What'd she do? She decided to work with a Brian Tracy certified coach named Christoph Nauer. Certified by Brian Tracy? He must be good. Even better. He guarantees results. He listens. It's very customized to you. That gives me hope. As a listener of The Mentors Radio, you get a free one-on-one Take My Time Back session. Don't wait. Go to balance6.biz. That's balance, the number six, dot B-I-Z to book your free assessment. Balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. So when we were talking in the last segment about diversity, real quick, Jeff, tell us about how you put those teams together to make sure there's trust, communication, because we have a tendency from just a human standpoint to like being around people that are like ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to see the level of challenge and to see the dichotomy in real life situations where, 
great leaders, even so-so leaders, understand the value of cognitive diversity and they understand the importance of, for a whole variety of different reasons, moral and other, of actually hiring from diverse populations, but it's really hard to put into practice. And, and a lot of that has to do with, as Steve talked about before, some of the management systems we have for selecting and hiring the talent that we do. Some of it has to do with just the reality that all of those fatal flaws we talked about before make it make it difficult to make a move in a way that that actually achieves real change and importantly that achieves real change at the pace that we need it to happen and so you know one of the things that that we did in this book is um we we wanted to talk to some real provocateurs we wanted to talk to people who had been able to achieve these types of things um in in their own lives running their own businesses but also help others to achieve them as well and so i, th I think one of the three provocateurs that we spoke to and i'll i'll let um steve tell valerie rainford's story in a moment but um the the three that we spoke to are are all people who have accomplished um driving real diversity in the world through different models that they've used debbie beale is the founder of the posse foundation which is an organization that um gives access to top tier universities to great leaders who otherwise wouldn't have had the chance who who naturally given their profile come from diverse backgrounds Ryan Gravel is the uh, founder of the Beltline project in Atlanta who envisioned a different and better way of living in the city by bringing people from different walks of life together in a social outdoor setting. Um, and that's what he's been able to accomplish with, with the Beltline. Valerie Rainford, who actually is, is um, very well known in some finance circles for having driven diversity into the likes of the Fed and JP Morgan and other places, has actually established her own business called LRE Talent Strategies to help companies make this hard move. And, and actually her, her story is an inspiring one, how, how she ended up doing that for the world that um, I'll, I'll take a breath and let uh, Steve tell this story. Yeah, Thomas, I, I would say Valerie is a tremendous, uh, tremendous story. And um, for those, she's written a book about her personal side of her story, which is filled with tragedy. So the fact that she became uh, a senior executive at the Fed and JP Morgan and now an entrepreneur in her own right at Ellery Talent is uh, an amazing and inspiring story. But what she learned primarily in her time at JP Morgan about driving diversity is you absolutely need a senior leader who wants to be on board. And then you need the provocateur or the 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 change agent. And that was and that was Valerie. And what you really need to do is couple it with data. And the challenge that a lot of organizations had been making around diversity is they've been looking at very high level aggregations of data. They'd be looking at underrepresented minorities, for example, within their, within their population. And what Valerie showed was that it was critical to disaggregate the data and treat different diverse populations in different ways because they each had in their own right different issues to uh, attracting and retaining that talent. And she focused in the initial stages at JP Morgan at driving uh, black talent at JP Morgan, and she was phenomenally successful. She had JP, she had Jamie Dimon in her corner, making sure that she had the top cover, and then she had the resources to go and do what she needed to do. But first and foremost, it was about getting the data and demonstrating to the senior executives that there was a challenge uh, at JP Morgan, and the data clarified a lot of that as they disaggregated it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Now, what I'd like to do is shift a little bit and talk about the provocateur. Who is a provocateur? And I'll flip this. I'm going to go back to you, Stephen. Uh, who? How do you define a provocateur? And what are the rules for provoking that you've written about? Well, there's no. There's one of the things that Jeff and I re resist in general um, when people ask us about what defines a great provocateur, or what makes a great leader, is that there's no singular model for uh, for it. There's no personality that drives it. There's no background. There's there's simply a recognition, I think first and foremost is a recognition and a curiosity about the world. So remember I talked about feasibility, desirability, and, and viability at, when we were in our initial segment. A great provocateur has the curiosity to see as those things are shifting and is something becoming feasible so they're interested in what technology is making 
is making possible in the world, whether it's in the fields of healthcare or in uh, or in uh, autonomous uh, uh, autonomous driving or uh, or other or other possibilities. What is desirable? Like, does does the technology actually do something interesting for customers? It's not just interesting technology, but it actually um, is. Uh, solves a human problem and then viable. So, um, can it be? Can it be done? Can it be economically viable? The a great provocateur looks at all of those things together and sees how possibilities could come together in the future. So, I would start with curiosity as uh, an important trait, but they can come from all walks of life. Is there something you recommend to people that would like to be provocateurs and developing a sense of curiosity and broadening out their uh, their uh, scope of interest? Yeah, act before you're sure. And and what I mean by that is, I, I think the natural human tendency, especially in businesses where you're trying to manage risk out of making decisions, is to do sufficient analysis that you're really confident about the move that you're going to make. You can get really confident with a move, but you will have missed the window to take advantage of the phase change. So the trick instead is have a mindset that you can act in the face of uncertainty and without all the data, but the way you act by boiling it down to a minimally viable move, which is something that Steve and I have written a lot about, so that you can constantly be taking small steps forward with the smallest testable hypothesis possible, then by definition, you will never fail. It's a different way of managing risk out of a decision. And that then takes us into provoking and the five keys to provoking. And I'll flip it back to you, Jeff, on that one. Yeah, so let, let me set it up and then maybe we can dig into them in, in more detail in, in the next segment. But basically, the, the five um, strategies, five actions for provoking that Steve and I set up in the book, um, which one you use depends on where you are in the phase change. And one of them is foundational. You, it's a capability you need to have throughout the entire time. Um, one of them is a result of that foundational one. And then the other three really result from um, what your position is uh, as you enter the phase change and how quickly you got there. So I can, I'd, I'd be happy, and I'm sure Steve would be happy to dig into those in more detail after a break. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Stephen Goback and Jeff Tuff, renowned consultants and best-selling authors who are providing insights on how all of us can shape the future by overcoming fatal human flaws. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast live anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio by clicking on San Francisco's KTRB 860 AM, The Answer. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Hey, professional business women. I know how busy your life is. To look your best, nails matter. The good news is I can save you a lot of nasty, chemical-smelling nail salon time. Just imagine, a perfect manicure in just minutes, at home, even while watching TV. No dry time, no smudges, no streaks, and your new manicure will last up to 10 days, often longer. I'm talking about 100% real nail polish. Yes, real nail polish, including top and base coat all in one that can gently be stretched for a perfect custom fit. Gorgeous, vibrant colors, soft pastels, gentle glitter or can't miss designs and nail art. You have options. For about $12 a set, you can even get some free. Choose your colors or designs. Receive them in about three days. Done. Everything you need is included. Polish easily removes and does not damage nails. Check it out. Nailsforme.com. Nails, the number four, M-E.com. That's nailsforme.com. Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder, Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I am with Stephen Gobach and Jeff Tuff. We're top strategy consultants at Deloitte, and we're talking about uncertainty and how we miss transformational opportunities in our life, careers, and in business. And during the break, uh, it's we're dealing with uncertainty. So Stephen didn't really know what to call me, and apparently I've been calling him the wrong name. So he provoked me. And uh, it's Steve and it's Tom. So now we're set to go for the rest exactly of the show. <laughs> okay, we're going to flip it to Stephen to start talking about the uh, five keys to uh, provoke. Yeah, so Jeff set up that we there are different actions that you can take based on where you sit in that phase change. So if you're early on in the phase change and the it, it's still a matter of if, all the way through it's it's very clear to everybody that it's it's going to happen and it's a matter of when it really matters the kind of action that you take where you are in that phase change so these are not five different strategies that anyone can avail themselves to they're five different actions that you need to understand the first one that you can do at any point in time is envision and that's where you think about different possible futures you use a tool called scenario thinking that we profile in the book in great detail. The the basic concept of scenario thinking is that you don't want to just think about one evolution of the future. You want to think about many, and you want to think about all the different uncertainties, how they might resolve themselves. Later on in the if, if stage still, but when it's not quite sure, you can position yourself to take advantage of that. And what that means is putting your company in, in a position where um, the phase change is still uncertain that it's going to resolve to a matter of when, but it looks more likely. So a good example might be the legalization of cannabis uh, on a federal basis. Okay, That is something that is still not clear how that's going to resolve itself, but many companies are taking the steps to put themselves in a position if that could resolve itself to a matter, to a matter of when. Then you've got the three, then you've got the three strategies that are more in the when stage. Early on, it's around driving. So you want to try to uh, uh, you want to try to uh, make a uh, make a strategy uh, where you take a specific action. And why don't I let Jeff talk about the last two? So it's not me droning on forever, Tom. Not 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 droning on at all. I was fascinated to hear where the legalization of cannabis was going to it was going to land in that example. But, but at, at Tom, as, as Steve described, you know, once you enter the phase change, you, you essentially have three options depending on when you act. And importantly, um, two different realities of your situation. Number one, how clearly you can see a line of sight to the outcome you want to be able to achieve. Some paths are very clear. Some paths are very murky. And then number two, the degree to which you have direct influence over the outcome. And so the one Steve described, the drive provocation is where you have a clear line of sight and a high degree of influence in the market or in your path to get there. That's where you want to drive to the outcomes that are advantageous to you and that lead to the future that you're looking for. The second of the, of, of the um, options you have as you enter the phase change is to adapt. And these are situations where you might have a clear line of sight, but you really don't have a lot of influence into the outcomes and the outcomes are not advantageous to you. That's where it takes real humility to be able to act and say, my business model or whatever I'm doing is not fit for purpose for the future that's highly likely. Therefore, I'm going to adapt what I'm doing in the market and, and the way I think about the value I create in the world so that it better fits to the future that looks that, that looks like it's reasonably likely to come true. That's a really, really hard move to make, especially given some of the fatal flaws we talked about before, but it's a critical capability. And then the final provocation, and I would argue probably one that's going to become increasingly important as a skill for almost any business is activate. And so this is where um, you, you may or may not have a clear line of sight to the outcome you're trying to achieve, but you really can't do it without a whole ecosystem of other players working with you, sometimes uh, willingly, sometimes unwittingly, uh, to try to achieve what the, the outcome that, you're, that you desire. And increasingly, as we work in this interconnected world, uh, ecosystems are going to be the solution that most of us need to lean on. So in the world that I live in, in biotech, I have an ecosystem and I've added a number of uh, pretty good, uh, very well-known 
people both in science and in cancer therapy and immunology and whatever, because they have a whole, I just use this as an example, they have a whole nother network. So they're feeding into us and we're still a small company, a great deal of information. And it's being um, presented in a way that we can digest it and then act on it. And I, I know one of the things that you, all the way through your book, you talk about, which uh, I, I totally agree with, and that's action, action, action. Uh, I think you almost finish every chapter with act, right? Uh, Stephen, maybe you'd like to comment on that? Well, I, 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 the, the, the reason why that's so important is go back to a world that is uncertain, okay? If stuff is truly uncertain, that is, we can't characterize the probability of things happening, and we're trying to do something different than we've done in the past, you're not going to learn a lot by studying historical data. And what you will learn is by provoking action in your customers, in, your, in the ecosystem around you, and that's, and that's why action will actually help you learn more than studying something, right? And there's a, you will see a real-world response, and increasingly, you have to figure out how to elicit the right kind of response um, and the right kind of tests uh, in order to do that. But that's why we think action in a world of uncertainty is so critical. So we're going to run out of time in this segment. We got the next segment, but I want to ask each of you a little bit about your own journey and how you found yourself into the world of consulting and who gave you the best advice along the way. And let's start with Jeff. Sure. So we actually write about, about this a little bit, a little bit in the book, Tom, but um, I am an accidental consultant, but I'm a lifelong consultant. I never planned on getting into business, but I've now been doing it for almost 30 years um, and I would say it was really a, a backpacking trip I took around the world with a woman who's now my wife um, that, uh, that really uh, set the wheels in motion for this to be a real career that I, I could make a, a, a go with. And again, we tell the story in the book, but the best advice I got along the way was actually in preparation for that trip. And it, it actually sits at the heart of a lot of what I believe in how to act out in the world today. And, and it was uh, there's a character we talk about in the book called the Elf, who's actually a friend of mine. His nickname was the Elf for reasons I won't get into right now. But um, he, he simultaneously said to, to us as we set off, don't plan too much and always have a plan B. And really, if you think about some of the things that we're advocating in, in Provoke and, and in Detonate, our, our previous book, um, it, there's a lot, there's a lot in there, which is about not overthinking things and going and taking action and being ready to course correct or to pivot if you need to. And that's something I, I learned in real life that had nothing to do with business. It had to do with backpacking. Steven? Well, I'll start with uh, advice. Um, it was always make an error of commission rather than an error of omission. And I know we've got a short time left in, in the segment, but that was, um, by a fellow named Jim Barian, who was the former president of Forbes magazine group. And uh, was I had the pleasure of working for him for a couple of years as I made the transition from the world of consulting to the world of media for a period of time. Um, that was sort of the first uh, Easter eggs of Provoke in my, in my life. Happy to expand further after the segment, though, Tom. We're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest mentors, Stephen Gobach and Jeff Tuff. You find all of our past shows, show notes, and links on our website, including a link to the recent uh, to the books that these two gentlemen have written. You can see this at thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Loy, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. 
visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years' experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lauren. I'm with Stephen Kobach and Jeff Tuff, who are world-renowned world uh, Deloitte consultants and strategy. And we're talking about uncertainty and how we miss transformative opportunities in our life. Okay, to where were we, Jeff? I think we're talking, or no, to Stephen, about your, your journey real quick about how you found yourself in the world of consulting and the best advice you ever received. Well, as I, as I said, I ended up at Forbes magazine uh, at around the turn of the century working for a fellow named Jim Berrien. And I got there because I was probably one of the world's worst business school applicants on record. I think I've applied and been rejected by most of the top business schools in the country. Um, And what I learned through that experience Um, in addition to Jim's advice about making an error of commission, not an error of omission, was that you didn't, you know, I didn't have a plan B. I had always said I was going to go to business school. And so life taught me how to figure out what to do. Since then, I've tried not to have too much of a very specific vision of what would success look like for me. I've tried to have a notional North Star of what I want to do and what I want to be. But I, I'm going to try to be as serendipitous as possible to take advantage of what's in front of me. So to some extent, it's not different than what, what Jeff's describing, but it's just not being so bent on a single thing that you can't be happy with what life gives you. So the one thing that I'll share with the audience for people that have wondered about consulting is I called it the consultant's advantage. And I deal with a lot of people, uh, friends who are consultants, world-renowned consultants like Ram Sharan or Pat Lencioni. And what I've learned about their business model is the more they talk to companies, the more they talk with executive teams, they see the threads that run through all of these companies. And then they write a book on it, which is great because then they're sharing their learnings with all of us. But for people that want to get into consulting, it can be a very interesting uh, field to be a part of. And I've, I admire those that come into it and they are able to uh, take what they've learned and discern it and then feed it back in a way that we can use it. So uh, I'm a big fan of consulting. And what real quick then, I'm going to go back to Stephen. Of all the people that you've seen in your life and all the different walks of life, what's the one thing that separates those that really have found joy in life from those that haven't? 
I'd say they they know what makes them happy, that they have a true understanding of themselves. Um, they, if you know what makes you happy and you're willing to go out and do that, then that will uh, that will keep you happy, Tom. Um, and that's different for different people. The better you know yourself, the more happy you can be. And Jeff? Well, I, I, so I wholeheartedly agree with Steve. And I think a precursor to knowing yourself is curiosity. I don't, I, I think you have to know for yourself what a definition of success is, but you can't actually understand really what is going to make you happy, what you want to achieve and, and see the entire breadth of possibilities without being curious about the world, without talking to people without your, and you're absolutely right about the field of consulting, Tom, the, the only good consultants are those that can apply lateral thinking and help people connect dis, disparate ideas from multiple different walks of life. If you've got that curiosity, you will see the breadth of different possibilities for yourself as a person and therefore come to terms with what it is that you want to achieve and what makes you happy. And uh, I'll throw it out to both of you. You guys have another book in mind? What's the next book? <laughs> It, a little, a little early, Tom. It just came out last week, but you know, the good news is I think we seem to enjoy each other's company. So it would not be shocking to me if there were. We're a little early to reveal it, but we've, you know, I think there will be something. There'll be a third book. And just briefly, and I'll flip this to Stephen. The book that made, which did well. What was the uh, essence of that, real quick? Because I've got to close. The best practices are the route to mediocrity. Right. If everyone does, if everyone does the same, the same thing, then by definition, you're average, not best. Thank you very much. That's it. Until next week, we've been talking with Deloitte strategy consultants and the authors of Provoke, Stephen Gobach and Jeff Tuff, who have shared great insights on how we miss opportunities in life and business by acting tentatively in the face of uncertainty. If you missed any of this show, go to our website, thementorsradio.com. And when you're there, make sure you subscribe to future shows. Again, it's thementorsradio.com. We will be posting a link to Stephen and Jeff's best-selling books, Provoke, and detonate on our website, thementorsradio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. And remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.